Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, and welcome to the exciting, colorful, and sometimes bizarre world of Argentine tango. On this show, we'll be meeting tango instructors, event organizers, and musicians, and they are a fascinating bunch of people. It'll be a great time, and I hope you can handle it. I'm your host, Joe Yang, and thank you very much for joining us. Today's guest is Max Kepler, who started off as a classically trained dancer at age three. It was only a matter of time before Argentine tango would come into the picture. Max has been part of several large tango communities on the West Coast and is currently based in Seattle, Washington. Since 2001, Max has been providing a wide variety of classes to students of all ages and levels, and I'm really looking forward to our interview. And with me now from Seattle is Max Kepler. Max, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to talk to me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show, Joe. All right. So just to get right into things, can you describe the moment or moments, there could have been more than one, when you knew you wanted tango to be a big part of your life? Oh, well, I think it came on kind of gradually. Yeah. Um, I'd always been involved in some sort of aspect of the dance world, and um, after college, I started really getting into partner dancing, and there were some friends from that that invited me and another friend to tango, and at first, we were not so sure. We mm. told them, well, we don't know anything about tango, <laughs> and uh, th these guys were like, oh, don't worry, there's a beginner's lesson before the milonga and uh, they'll just teach you everything you need to know and we're like oh, okay <laughs> we'll go to that <laughs> okay <laughs> yep that, so how did that first lesson go um you know we didn't really know that we didn't know anything so we were happily you know dancing along we thought we were doing pretty good and having a good time and uh the um the the more uh, experienced members of this particular group of, of young people um, mm -hmm. that I began learning with um, were very gracious and um, invited me and my, my friend Penny that started learning with me, uh, mm -hmm. invited, invited us, us to dance, sort of taking turns, nice. maybe, maybe for just one song at a time. We thought that was great. Right. So you stayed for that first Malanga then? Oh yeah, we definitely did. Oh. Yeah. And we, it became a regular thing. Okay. We started going every Friday night to uh, the Argentine Association, Argentine Association of Los Angeles, which mm. met in the, the Burbank uh, Realtors Association okay. uh, Hall, actually, every Friday night. Yeah, and, and just gradually from there, it just started taking a hold, right? I think, you know, what caught me at first was just the social aspect. You know, I had this group of people who I was becoming friends with and who liked mm. to dance, and we would all sit around a table of about 12 people and chat between tandas. I didn't know what a tanda was at the time, but, yeah. you know, we would chat between dances and songs, and, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it, there were, once in a while, there were, you know, magical moments of connection that just felt really good on the mm -hmm. dance floor, and mm -hmm. I don't know what really created them versus other times where we weren't feeling it, but mm -hmm. we kept coming back for more of that, and also going out to see our friends. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think what you what you said was really important about the, the social aspect. Because very often I ask the interviewees, um, you know, how do how would you get students who are new to tango when they're just starting to come to Malangas, you know, other than observing the basic customs such as the floor craft and cabasail and uh, ways of getting people comfortable at, at the Malanga. So I think that you kind of were doing that, just being very social and getting to know the people around you. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely it was it was I give all the credit to the the people who had dragged us into that scene. They were just very gracious and always happy to chat and dance with us even though we were, you know, absolute beginners nice. for a very long time. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great. Having a supportive group out there. So you visited many tango communities uh, as you started getting into tango, as you started becoming more advanced. Uh, so, in your opinion, and I think you sort of hit on this before um, in your in your previous answer, but in your opinion, what do really really effective or really uh, strong communities have in common? That's a really good question. I think that strong tango communities have in common a great diversity of types of people within them. I think if you have a tango community that's only, say, men and women in their 50s and 60s mm-hmm. who are of a particular background, then it's hard to draw in uh, young people. Yeah. Um, and it's also this sort of a, a, a timeout factor. That that group, as it, as it ages, um, might... Some of them might keep dancing, but it's hard to bring in new people. Mm-hmm. But if you have if you have a community that's drawing in people who are new to the area and also some locals mm-hmm. and all ages, drawing from the local colleges and from the various companies in the area mm-hmm. and bringing in artists as well as engineers as well as yeah. all you know all people in all types of fields, I think it becomes more vibrant mm-hmm. and more sustainable as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's always amazing how you meet people from all different walks of life in this dance. Yeah, it's one of the things that makes it exciting is um, you get to meet people that you wouldn't meet at work or, or unless, of course, you're a tango instructor. It's right. your job. <laughs> you might not, you, you, you know, if you have a day job, you're not going to meet the same people there as you meet on the tango dance floor or in the Malongas. Yeah. So how did you become a teacher? Can you describe that journey? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was sort of an accident. I, um, you know, I'd done a lot of dance growing up and... Uh, it was an important part of my life, but I was uh, in graduate school uh, studying cognitive neuroscience, oh. and I decided to take some time off to kind of think if I really wanted to go into research or if I wanted to do more clinical work or what was going on there. And you know, meanwhile, of course, I'd been dancing tango as a hobby, and I'd done a little bit of teaching as an undergrad just to get a club started in San Diego when okay. I was at UCSD for, for my bachelor's degree, uh-huh. but I wasn't planning to become a dance instructor. I thought I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna teach a few dance classes while I'm, mm-hmm. you know, while looking for a job, you know, while looking right. for a real job. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I think that was about 10, 12, 10, 12 years ago. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's about time I should probably find a real job. But I say that kind of tongue in cheek. The tango mm-hmm. and dance instructor in general has had become my uh, main professional work for most of the last decade. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, I've done some other things as well, yeah. um, but it really was by accident. I just thought, oh, I'm just going to do this thing that I enjoy doing, that I have some skill in, mm-hmm. um, while I, you know, find something more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I didn't really have any skill as a dance instructor when I started, or mm-hmm. very little. You know, I could dance pretty well at that point. I've been dancing tango pretty regularly for about a decade at that yeah. point, yeah. but I, I didn't... It, Dancing skill, you probably know, does not translate directly to instructional skill. <laughs> right. I picked up a few things from having started that tango club, and they were mostly do-nots, like, oh, okay, do not spend the whole class talking, or 
do not bring in uh, untested guest instructors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I think it was once I got established as a tango instructor in Seattle that I really began learning how to how to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of what I learned, I learned from my students and incorporating their feedback along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's something important you just mentioned, learning from your students. And of course, as teachers, students are some of our best teachers. So what, what are some, yes. some things that students have taught you that have really stuck with you throughout the years? Uh, so much. Uh, I don't yeah. even know where to start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's pretty common for our tango instructors or dance instructors to want to just stuff a lot of information in and... Mm-hmm. I think it's um, you know there's a lot to learn. I think it serves the students better to let them pace a class. So one thing I've learned is to adjust my syllabus based on how things are going and let the students' questions uh, lead what I teach next. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently teaching. I don't have a regular partner that I teach with. So I, because of that, I have a lot of flexibility in what material I can teach um, because we don't. I don't. I'm not prepping it ahead with someone. I'm not throwing anyone off if I if I change course in the middle of the class. Yeah. I think also if the students are giving you that kind of glazed over look, you know, you've just <laughs> talked too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you got to let them try. I think I think that's probably the biggest thing is give pieces of information in small small chunks mm-hmm. and let them try it immediately before giving them a new piece of information. Yeah. yeah. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of talk, brief, brief talking, and then dancing for three to six minutes, and then feedback on that, iterate that sort of thing. Yeah, good. So, kind of changing gears to um, to teaching. So, what's some really good or memorable advice you've gotten from some of the teachers you've worked with? I know that's probably a lot as well. Anything stand out right away? Well, I think that a lot of what I've learned from other tango instructors about teaching and you know I continue to go to attend classes of all levels to Mm -hmm. continue to inform you know my own dancing as well as my teaching I think a key is that more important than the material you teach in the class is uh, the respect that you give your students Mm. so if a student has a question it's because I haven't provided them with that information yet in a way that they can digest so Mm -hmm. You know, it's on me to answer that question. And their questions, they sort of alluded to this before, but they're in question, their questions, student questions inform where I'm going with the direction of that class. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I've learned this from other tank instructors, to really be very respectful of all questions. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of courage, I think, to ask a question in a class in a group format, especially mm-hmm. if it's a beginner's class. You don't really know everyone else in the class. Yeah. I try to... Um, thank everyone for every question that they ask. And I guess it's sort of cliche, but there's no such thing as a bad question sort of applies that's here. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's one thing that um, that's if there's students listening that ask questions. We, we love questions and we love helping. So switching over to tango as therapy, I mean, one thing about um, your background that really fascinated me was um, you teach a class for people with Parkinson's disease. Uh, I also do that out here in Madison, and it's really great to come across other other teachers who do that. So how did you get into teaching tango for people with PD? Well, you know, I mentioned I was a, a, a graduate student in cognitive neuroscience yes. um, before becoming a tango instructor. That's and um, I knew someone from my community, this is in Eugene, Oregon, um, mm-hmm. another dance instructor named uh, Ev Marcel. Um, mm-hmm. 
think she might still be teaching down there. And um, she had started doing something similar in the Eugene, Oregon area. And uh, somehow we got to talking about it. And I thought, well, how does that work? And asked mm. her a bunch of questions. She was very enthusiastic about it and oh, talked about how well it was working and mm. pointed me in the direction of some of the early research on Tango for People with Parkinson's mm -hmm. by um, Drs. Hackney and Earhart yes. out of the University, uh, 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 Washington University in St. Louis, yeah. rather. And so I looked up their research. I actually had a phone conversation with Dr. Earhart at some nice. point. Nice. And I thought, well, you know, one of the reasons that I was um, leaving grad school and, and leaving research was I wanted to do work that maybe at least in some small way could have a, an immediate impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think research is really important. Um, obviously, I try to use the results of <laughs> other people's research in, in my work, but I, I, I wanted that. I wanted my work, um, and it was kind of selfish in a way. I wanted to be able to see the impact of my work in my lifetime. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe not on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, but at least mm -hmm. on a like month-to-month -month basis. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's quite possible to do when you teach people um, with movement disorders like Parkinson's mm -hmm. that affect their gait, and even um, you know other neurodegenerative illnesses that affect even you know cognitive skills. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks there's a lot of research out now that shows that tango and other types of dance can be helpful mm -hmm. to to those populations and so I thought well I'm just gonna give this a try and see how it goes <laughs> <laughs> but apparently it's been really successful right it's been it's been really great and fun as well and you know uh, the students I you know I can see progress I get I get email from them saying you know before I started doing this I wasn't able to do this that, or the other thing but mm -hmm. now I'm doing those things on a regular basis and I think it's you know it doesn't have to be tango but mm -hmm. it's really important for people with Parkinson's to get some sort of exercise on a daily basis right, right. and you probably know that from from working with people with Parkinson's it's yeah. so important in mm -hmm. in terms of uh, sustaining a good quality of life for as long as possible and you know tango has you know there's some accountability for to showing up, right? Because you get dance partners yeah. in the class who might be looking forward to dancing with you, and yeah. you meet other people. You have physical contact with other people, which you know can have healing properties on its own. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's the the music aspect, um, which you know, I guess if if you ever seen the 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 movie Awakenings after the same name book by the I think it was the late great Oliver Sacks okay. that wrote that. Then you'll you'll know that you know music has a big impact on mm. uh, people with um, uh, I think that was a, was that about Huntington's or Parkinson's disease uh, I think it was it was one of the diseases okay. that involves the dopaminergic system mm -hmm. I think it might have been Parkinson's okay well to look that one up yeah. so yeah so uh, well it couldn't hurt to put this all together and give it a, a sort of a test run in Seattle and the, oh there was another instructor mm -hmm. uh, well a community member. Emily Liu, who is, uh, who's a physical therapist in uh, South Seattle in, uh, I think, the Tacoma or Federal Way area. Okay. And she was doing something similar, but it was like way down south, a little far for people in North Seattle to drive. Mm -hmm. So I attended a couple of her sessions and thought, well, you know, maybe we should start something up uh, in North Seattle. Nice. I'm not a physical therapist, but, you know, I had, I had at that point uh, quite a bit of experience with, with tango instruction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's great you mentioned uh, Dr. Hackney and Dr. Earhart. I actually had Dr. Hackney on the show a little while ago. She was really fun to talk to. And yeah, it's just great that we found, you know, we've always kind of known that tango's good for you, but now that there's uh, a lot of emerging scientific proof that it has all these applications, and that's really, it's really exciting. Yeah. 
super exciting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, just just quick question about uh, PD as well. So, uh, how has that experience of, of teaching tango for Parkinson's has that helped your understanding of of tango in other ways? It's encouraged me that I think early on uh, when I was teaching, I thought, well. I shouldn't teach anything off axis to beginners, mm-hmm. and I shouldn't teach anything too complicated or potentially dangerous to beginners. Mm-hmm. But actually, seeing my students um, who have Parkinson's disease do actually quite well with some like basic off axis work, Colgatas, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, really encouraged me to um, extend that to people who did not have Parkinson's disease and were relatively new to tango. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not what I teach in day one, right. um, but I think it's really important in the group of students who are moving from kind of a beginner, beginner level to a more advanced beginner level mm-hmm. to be challenged and see, oh, there are some things that aren't so easy that don't just come quickly to them. They can't fake their way through. Yeah. Um, and so then they're motivated to work more on, on technique that will get them there. And it actually, once there's, there's a reason to have that technique, the technique comes pretty quickly, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Okay. Does that make any sense, Joe? Yeah, like, absolutely. absolutely. Not teaching technique for technique's sake, but to get to some goal or objective. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I guess there's so much, like, um, you know, from a teaching perspective, there's all these strategies that, that you employ. I mean, it depends on the, on the student that you're working with, too. But, yeah, I totally, yeah. Uh, totally get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so even though you've been dancing tango for a long time, actually you've been just dancing in general since you were since you were a little kid, and now you're big into tango. So what's something new that you've learned recently? Well, you know, Joe, I don't want to be misleading, but I have okay. to say I would not say I'm deep into tango. Okay. Yeah, I've been dancing tango for like 20 years, but, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I wouldn't even say it's my favorite thing. Uh, I would say nowadays I'm more excited about um, sort of fusion dancing, uh, as they call it, as the young kids are calling it these days, Um, (laughs) and uh, using aspects of Argentine tango and aspects of um, West Coast swing, blues dancing, Lindy Hop, all kinds of dances, um, as well as aspects of uh, modern dance and contact improv um, to create maybe the new cutting edge of social dance or, or yeah. contact related social dance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what's most inspiring to me right now. Okay. Um, not to say that, you know, I am an expert in all things tango. I'm certainly not. There's certainly many, many, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, I'm not sure, um, of more skillful tango performers. You know, I don't really um, do tango as a performance mm-hmm. art. I do it as a social dance in a, in a teaching as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think just for me, part of teaching dance as someone who grew up, you know, in the United States, part of teaching something that's, you know, related to Argentine tango, I think it's important to pay respect to the roots of the dance, but also to uh, acknowledge that we're not in, we're not in or from Argentina, and we're not, you know, we're in, we're in 2017, and <laughs> the dance keeps evolving, and I think it's really important to, um, to know, you know, as musical tastes change, um, mm-hmm. uh, if we want there to be a population of social dancers, we need to have a dance that evolves um, with the musical tastes of the population. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're, you're right. I mean, dance does evolve. I mean, what we call Argentine tango today, I mean, if you look at it just a few decades ago, it was something different. People are still debating about yep. 
about the different styles and so forth. And like you said, it's, yep. it's constantly evolving. It doesn't just exist in this very rigid confine. So what are some, because uh, you talk about, you know, a lot of the fusion of the contact improv and a lot of other aspects of dance. So when did you really start feeling that happening? Or is that something that was always going on in your, during your exploration of dance? Well, you, you know, I actually started Lindy Hopping around the same time I started learning tango. Oh, okay. uh, I think I started learning tango in October 1996, and okay. it might have been like that summer 1996 I took my first Lindy Hop class from Frankie Manning okay. <laughs> at the uh, Pasadena Barm Dance Association. So I was kind of learning them in parallel for a while, and there were times where I focused more on one than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always sort of been a multiple dance sort of um, student. Okay. Um, definitely there were some periods of even years I focused more on tango than on Lindy Hop, and other mm-hmm. times where I felt like Lindy Hop was more more fun, more my calling, depending on where I was living, what city, mm-hmm. and what the scene was like in that city. Okay. But, you know, I have to say it was actually... A lot of it, of what how I teach now has to do with um, my work with people with Parkinson's through my Tango for People with Parkinson's classes because, you know, having researched um, what's helpful to people with Parkinson's, I um, learned that um, certain types of modern dance are mm. also um, really helpful to people with Parkinson's. They have the, the Mark Morris Dance Group um, mm-hmm. has branches out here in the Seattle area, nice. and they do modern dance um, that's improvised modern dance uh, to live music uh, for people at Parkinson's and so I've attended some of those uh, classes and I started to incorporate sort of modern dance warm-ups into my tango classes for people with Parkinson's and those were well received Mm -hmm. and then you know there were just certain times when I was excited about something from swing dancing and I offered it to my students Parkinson's and they said sure let's try that for a change of pace or maybe we could do some salsa today or that sort of thing and so um, I would give some classes on different topics and then of course um, they wanted to come back to tango at some point and so Mm. it's sort of a natural progression towards like a fusion of different dances and, um, and then I thought well I could probably offer this more broadly to people in Seattle, mm. um, and I've been doing that just in the last few months, and it's been really well received. Um, the students get very enthusiastic when they can use aspects that they've learned from Tango Basics, uh, mm. but also put on, you know, some of the excitement and up energy of, of swing dancing or some of the the more um, freeform movements of, of modern dance or contact improv. Mm. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah, it's just funny. I remember my um, in my own PD classes when I was starting to do more rhythm work, I started playing blues music just for fun, just to kind of Great. loosen up the atmosphere. And then they were really enjoying dancing tango to blues music. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I thought, hey, why not? You know. Yeah. I think that um, you know you said you're going to talk to Dr. Earhart. Uh, uh, sorry, Dr. Hackney, Hackney yeah. and I think that that her um, work, uh, her standards for teaching tango people with Parkinson's suggests using um, non-traditional tango music yes. uh, for most of the class because yes. it's more, you know, the modern tango music such as, uh, I think you interviewed um, one of the musicians from Otrosides yes, recently. Yeah, Miguel, yeah. yeah, and you know, that the modern music is so much more uh, like beat driven or, um, I don't know. Uh, right, it's not it's, quite as, you know. It's, it's accessible. Exactly, it's accessible yeah. in a different way than mm-hmm. um, than the um, sort of traditional or older music from the mm-hmm. 1920s and 30s or even 40s is. Um, yeah. Of course, the recording quality is often um, superior, and um, <laughs> the instrumentation <laughs> or mm-hmm. electronic instrumentation is more more yeah. familiar. Yeah, yeah. 
Good. All right, Max, what future projects are you working on? Well, um, I'm trying to get out of teaching tango, honestly, Joe. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I think partly, again, my work with people with neurological disorders, also mm -hmm. um, some volunteer work I've been doing has inspired me to uh, actually move my professional work in a more clinical direction. So I'm considering whether I want to uh, go into counseling, maybe couples therapy, or if I want to... Um, go into uh, psychiatric nursing, and I've just recently applied for a, a program, it's an accelerated program uh, to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I won't wow. know for a few months if I get in or not, and looking at other options in the meantime as well. Okay, great. Yep. I think yeah. I'll keep dancing tango though. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. Maybe I mean... not while I'm in the uh, intensive accelerated <laughs> program, but okay. you know, after that. Yeah, yeah, but that's great. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, life is this big, uh, adventure. I mean, Tango's had a huge part of it, but you have to. Go it sure has. It. Yeah, you got to go where the adventure yep. takes you. Maybe Tango will have a big part of it. Maybe not. Whatever it is, I'm sure the experiences you've had from Tango will carry over in some useful way. Yeah. 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 Yep. Great. I'm sure it will. Sure, they will. Yeah, Max. So, where do we find out more information about you online? Uh, you can visit my website at. Uh, dancekepler.com that's okay. d-a-n-c-e-k-e-p-l-e-r.com all right um, i also have a second website for the lgbt community in the seattle area it's mm -hmm. tango.com also okay and uh i'm on facebook under seattle open world dance all right and all you right. can also look at me on linkedin etc okay and we'll have that information in the show notes so that people will be able to look you up easily Okay, Max. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. Yeah, okay. Well, good luck with everything in the future. And <laughs> Thanks um, so much. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was fun talking to you. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. All right, take good care. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, another fun conversation. I'd like to thank my friend Jordana Delfeld for introducing me to Max. Max had a lot of interesting things to say, especially when it comes to the goal of utilizing dance as a treatment for those suffering from movement disorders such as Parkinson's disease. So tango turned out not to be the main focus of Max's life, and that's okay. The course of one's professional life is a journey full of unexpected turns, and it's good to know that tango played a big role here. I also really like Max's thoughts on teaching, especially when it comes to being focused on the student. So if you're a Tango student listening to this podcast and you're in the earlier stages of learning, don't be afraid to speak up to let us teachers know what your needs are. It's not like high school where you've got teachers who have a set curriculum that they've been sticking to for the last 30 years. So when you're in a Tango class or workshop, you're not being pushed through some preset system designed by teachers or some group of unseen administrators. Most of what Tango instructors teach and how they teach is determined directly by you and very often in the moment. So thank you, Max, for bringing that to our attention and for sharing your story with us. It's good stuff. And to all of you listeners, thank you again for tuning into Joe's Tango Podcast. If you enjoyed this program and you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, it would mean the world to me if you could go to any one or all of those platforms, leave a five-star rating, a positive comment, and remember to subscribe. It only takes a minute, but does a lot to help more people find this podcast. And of course, 
sharing this with your friends would also be lovely. I truly appreciate your support. And if you have suggestions for people that you'd like me to interview, or if you just want to get in touch, feel free to send me an email. You can contact me at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. And you can find out more about me and my own tango classes at wisconsintango.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, dot com. Okay, that's it for now. We'll have more shows coming to you every Monday and sometimes Fridays, but definitely every Monday. I'm Joe Yang. Talk to you again soon. Bye.